Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning to worship with us, to be a part of this family this morning, and to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to acknowledge the spirit that binds us together. Uh, If this is your first time here, you are our guest. We're glad you're worshiping with us. For everybody, as we do every week, because it really does help us, uh, inside the bulletin is a connection card. If you do us a favor, go ahead and rip that out, fill it out, and you can drop in our offering trays that are passed a little bit later on in our service. Uh, Yes, it does give us a a record of your attendance, which we really do appreciate. It helps us know who is here and how we can help you. But also, uh, more importantly, the prayer requests, the things that you can let us know. We can pray for you, pray over you, pray with you. Um, and the things you may want to know more about Monterey that we can help you with. And so please do fill that out and drop in the offering trays a little bit later on in our service. This morning is what we call Family Commitment Sunday. It's a time when we as a family commit to these families and their children. And it's also a time when the individual families come to commit their children into raising them up into Christ. Before we get started, uh, I don't know about you guys, I often feel like I have a busy, crazy week. And while the weekends, sometimes we like to think that they're going to slow down. Sometimes weekends are busy, crazy weekends. And sometimes, well, it's just crazy because life is crazy right now. So we're going to take about 30 seconds right here just to stop, to acknowledge God that he is here, that he has promised when we gather together, his spirit is here, that his spirit is strong with us. So we're going to take just 30 seconds To be silent before our God, you can talk to him, but I pray also that you're listening to him. So let's just take 30 seconds right now. Father God, I praise you because we are sitting here in your presence. But not just with you, we are bound together, that we are sitting with the family, the family that you created through your son and that is bound through your spirit. Help us, God, uh, today to let go, to surrender, to give all of ourselves to you with the knowledge that you will fill us up with every single thing we need. So we come before you this morning, Father, ready to worship and ready to listen to what you have to say. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen. So last Sunday, we had Ray Vanderlaan here who preached last Sunday. And when he was done with the first service, somebody walked up to Barry after service and went, Woo! Man, I'm glad that I'm not you and that I'm preaching and that you're preaching next Sunday after Ray Vanderlaan was here. Barry laughed too and said, I'm not worried. I'm not preaching next week. Joey is. So let's just go ahead and lower those expectations right now of what's going to happen. I'm going to stand up here. I'm not going to make you crane your necks this time. But let's lower the expectations of what to expect this morning. Uh, In our family, we try to find shows that we can watch together as a family. And we have a handful of them that we found that we really enjoy. One of those shows is is a show called Brain Games. 
It's on Netflix. If you've ever seen it, uh, National Geographic also has it on their channel. But it's a show that we really, really enjoy, and it shows the different ways that the, the brain works in different scenarios and different things. In this one episode that we're going to watch a clip from in a moment, in this one episode, they do a social experiment called uh, about conformity, about how powerful our need is to conform to the environment or to the people around us. It is a powerful thing that is in us, a need to conform. And the clip we're going to watch... Uh, we're in a doctor's office, an eye doctor's office waiting room is what you're kind of seeing when you first see this. All the chairs that are in the waiting room are filled with actors except for one. There's one empty chair. And all the actors have been given one instruction. When you hear a tone or a beep that goes off in the room, stand up and then sit down. So every time you hear a tone or a beep, you stand up and you sit down. A girl walks in who has no idea what's going on. She just comes for a regular old eye appointment, and she comes in to sit in the one empty chair, has no idea what everybody is about to do. She has no idea she's part of a social experiment about conformity. And so the question is, will this one girl who has no idea what is going on, will she conform to what everybody else is doing, even if she has no idea why they're doing it? So she takes a seat, Let's see what happens. We set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone simply because everyone else is. You might be thinking you'd never go along with this. Or would you? After just three beeps, and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. But what happens if we take the group away? Elaine, please. Okay, now she's alone, the crowd is gone, and nobody is watching her, except our hidden cameras. What do you think she'll do? She's now conforming to the rules of the group without them even being there. Now, watch what happens when we introduce another outsider who doesn't know the rules. Have a seat and they'll be out in just a couple minutes. Great, thanks. thanks so much. Think she'll teach the new guy what to do? <laughs> right? It's crazy, right? I'm sitting here watching this, and, and I, I want you to notice one of the things, and we, I know we talk about this all the time, about peer pressure and all the things in school, which is good, but you notice her response when he asked, why are you standing up? She said, I don't know. Everyone else was doing it, so I thought I was supposed to. First time I watched that, I thought, 
these people are crazy because what you don't know, what we didn't have, we don't have time to watch the rest of the clip. It's actually about a 10 minute clip. What they show is that one by one, they bring people in who have no idea what's going on themselves and they fill up every single seat. And by the end of the clip, every single one of them are standing up and sitting down. Every one of them. One guy tries to hold out. That would be me. He's trying to hold out. And the very last time he can't help himself, he stands up. It is amazing how we conform to things and we don't even realize why we're doing them. And I'm willing to bet if we sat here for a couple of hours and really just talked about the ways that we conform in our society now, we'd find so many different things that we do. Uh, Sam and I were talking about this last weekend and we were joking that in our, in our pockets, when our phones buzz, we are trained. It, it bothers me not to try to look to see who it is that's contacting me. That we've, I've conformed, I've been trained by this to do that. And so I thought those people were crazy, and I said there's no way that I would do that. But here's the thing, just like this study, the studies have shown over and over and over again that people actually do conform to the environments and to the people that they are surrounded by in some of the most powerful ways that may not be as simple as sitting and, as sitting, and sitting in a chair, standing and sitting in a chair. We are affected in powerful ways. So what does that say about us, about how we as one body, as one body made in Christ, impact each other? What does it say about how we influence one another for good or for bad? One of the ways I think we have conformed, um, we have conformed to our culture is how we define family. And that definition of family has influenced how we read Scripture and how we engage Scripture. And more importantly, I believe it has seriously affected how we influence or lack of influence each other. I'm married with three children. My wife and I have three kiddos. Uh, this is a picture of us, hopefully. Yeah, there it is. Uh, this is a more formal picture. This is us dressed up. Yes, that's me dressed up. Um, this is my family, and this is what it looks like. We have a professional photographer come out and take a picture, and we're all trying to look nice. This is what we typically look like right here. <laughs> this is much more in line with what it's like in our house on a pretty regular basis. Aaron, I, I do want to say my wife does not yell at our daughter. I promise it looks like it. She was playing. But this is, this is kind of the, the weirdo, crazy place that we're in in our lives. And we influence each other every single day. We have a massive amount of influence on each other every single day. Sometimes we influence each other intentionally. Sometimes not so much. Sometimes we impact each other in good ways. Sometimes in not so good ways. And this is a great, this is a great definition of family. It is called the nuclear family. What we call mom, dad, 2.5 kids, a picket fence, and a dog was called uh, typically the nuclear family. And God looks at this family and he enjoys this family. He created this family. He honors this family in his word. But I also want to challenge us to read through Scripture because, in my opinion, I believe that when you look through Scripture from start to finish in all the different ways that family is depicted, that is not the main definition of family that God displays throughout Scripture. The priority of individual families seems to be something that we have conformed to over time as our culture has changed to more of an individualistic society. And so our individual families have become the priority. They've become the priority even to the detriment of the faith community that we're a part of and beyond. I believe that from start to finish, the big picture of Scripture 
in my opinion, the focus of all of Scripture is that God is showing the family is actually the community of believers, not the individual family. That's not to take away from the individual family, but there's a reason why the times that he shows the individual family, what he's doing is to paint a bigger picture of what family really is. God, the Father, and his children that are being shown. In the Old Testament, I believe it was Israel, how he called them his people, his children. He called them out. In the New Testament, it's called the church. That's us. There's really just a continued extension, a broadening of what Israel was supposed to do in the first place. So we say family, and we think about family as Scripture shows it. Most, most often it depicts it more like this. Or maybe like this. Or perhaps it's more like this. Or maybe even this. One of my favorite photos from camp. And even these pictures do not in any way, shape, or form do a full justice of what God is defining as family throughout Scripture. He paints a much larger picture, a thousand times bigger, a thousand times more beautiful than what we simply do in these four walls. But it does start here for us in how we treat one another. The vast majority of Scripture was written to a body of believers to be applied as a body of believers in community with each other. God uh, took Old Testament Israel and formed a community. He formed them together by what's called a covenant, a promise, an agreement, a, a testament. And when we say testament, you hear Old Testament, New Testament, uh, old promise, old agreement, new agreement, new testament. And, and I do love that Ray Vandalon said last week, rip out new in the books and the Bibles that they had in his class that he was teaching because it's not brand new. It is a continuation of what it's supposed to be in the first place. This is a, a promise, not as individuals, that when we read Scripture, we're not supposed to apply it just as me, but we're supposed to apply it as a body of believers accountable to each other. This is a common theme throughout, a common thread throughout Scripture. Just like marriage between a husband and wife is used to depict the marriage of humanity to God, the individual family is used to depict what God is doing in the larger picture of his family. We, as a nuclear family that I have, are not the point. We are the display of the bigger picture of what God does between himself and humanity. How do we live that out? Do we believe that's even true in the first place? As a people, as a family, we are shown over and over again that we are bound together that we impact one another, we influence one another, and that we cannot avoid it. It is going on one way or the other. It's happening whether we like it or not or whether we're aware of it or not. Let me give you one example, I think a powerful one, from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12 states it this way. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. And then he keeps going. Paul keeps going throughout this little text, explaining the different parts and how they talk to each other and how we engage one another, how they cannot deny one another. And then you get down to 12, 
verse 26 when it states this, and this should change the way we view family from a church perspective. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Do you believe that is true? Do we believe that a spirit that is not my spirit and not Robbie's spirit and then a completely separate spirit for Zoe and then a completely separate spirit for Eric, do we believe that it is one spirit that binds us all into one and that when one of us is suffering, the rest of us are supposed to feel that with them, to have empathy to walk alongside them. And when they are honored, when they are lifted up, do we rejoice with them in the same way? Here's the funny part. I would say that we would be willing to rejoice a lot faster than we would to feel pain with them. Because to walk alongside them, and this is the funny part. We are impacted whether we like it or not. Whether we choose to walk alongside them, we are shaped when one of us is hurting, whether we realize it or not. And I think the sad part for the church as a whole is that somehow we too have begun to be blind to this idea. We forget that we are bound by one spirit. And if we are bound by one spirit together, bound together, then we also are responsible to each other. So if we can't afford, if we can't avoid being impacted and influenced, then how much more powerful is it if we intentionally step into each other's lives, if we intentionally invite others into our lives. And all it takes is a simple invitation. An invitation to say, come sit with me. An invitation to say, can I share something with you? An invitation to say, hi, I'm Joey. I want to show you a picture of a simple invitation that has profound profound implications for me. I was 30 years old, and I, Aaron and I had been married for about two months. We were volunteering at a singles ministry in Nashville, Tennessee, and on one day, uh, a 55-year-old man named Jerry Cover walked up to me and asked me to come over to his house. Jerry and I knew each other somewhat. I'd been to his house before with a group of singles, and we'd been over to his home to have some events, and we kind of knew each other. Uh, and, and so him inviting me over wasn't too strange. Uh, when I was telling Sam the story, he goes, it's kind of creepy. A 55-year-old man invited you over to his house. Um, and he did so, and he wanted me to come over at 6 a.m. <laughs> I started laughing, to be honest with you. I was 30 years old, didn't have any kids, 6 a.m., no way. And I thought he was joking. And I said, oh, you're joking, 6 a.m., right? I said, can't we do like 9? And he goes, no, no, I want you there at 6. And I go, why not 9? Why not 10? Why 6? And he goes, I need you just to trust me. I need you just to show up there by 6 o'clock at the latest. Just trust me in this. So, 5.30 that Saturday, my alarm went off and I got up. Drug myself out of bed. And I will tell you that at 30 years of age, 5.30 was the devil's hour. I was at his house by 6 a.m., knocked on the door, and we walked out to his back porch where he had two chairs sitting there, and we sat on the porch facing his backyard and a line of trees and woods, and behind that, a bunch of hills. For you West Texas folks, hills are large mounds of earth, smaller than a mountain. <laughs> and we sat there 
talking, and he just started asking me questions about me, what it was like to be 30 years old and be married for two months and have no kids and to do volunteer ministry work while working full-time. And he just started asking me about me and what it was like to be me, and, and I was just answering these questions, kind of surprised he wanted to know so much about me. And after a little bit, Jerry got really quiet. He got quiet because I noticed the sun started to come up because we were facing exactly east, and the sun was coming up over the hills. And Jerry got quiet and didn't say anything. And for 30 minutes, we sat in silence as that sun came up over the hills. And without taking his eyes off the sun, he said to me, Joey, do this every single day. Find a place, find a space, find a time to be quiet and still before God and just listen for his voice. Then he reached over and grabbed a book, a book called My Utmost for His Highest uh, by Oswald Chambers. Many of you probably know this much more than I do. And he handed me the book and he said, my dad gave me my first copy of this when I was around your age and it has shaped my life since then. Over the last 25 years, it has shaped my life in more ways than I can describe. And I want you to experience it also. I have to be honest with you, I did not appreciate what Jerry did that morning for many years. But I'm telling you, he planted a seed 15 years ago because a month later we moved to Lubbock, Texas. And we started ministry work here. 15 years ago, he planted a seed that is bearing fruit today. I still have that book that he gave me 15 years ago. And if you could look at it, you'd see there's so many pages that are leafed down of places that I've marked through and highlighted and kept because it's something that I always have. I keep it in my office up at the church, and especially during the down times, I'll pick it up and start reading through it. And I've also found for me that there are times, that I did it right down here before I walked up on the stage, where sitting in God's presence silently is the place that I can hear his voice and feel his presence most. And I sat down there just before I came up here and just said, okay, God, what do you got to say? Get me out of the way, and I pray that you speak to this. Fifteen years ago, a seed was planted. But I want to bring the idea a little bit closer to home because Jerry lives 1,200 miles away. So let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Uh, you four guys, if you're back there, if you can come out for me. Come on out here real quick. These guys are going to help me this morning kind of be an object lesson for us. Studies have found that we are influenced by and we also influence. So we are influenced by and we also influence five generations in our own lifetime. So two above us, Corey and Ken, and two below us, Sam and Malcolm, that we are influenced by these people in our lives. And I want to show you how this takes place. First, let's start with Ken. Ken, it's Ken Castle, you and Shirley Castle, 56, almost 57 years ago, were founders of Monterey Church of Christ, right? If you're sitting in this room today, you have been influenced and impacted in a profound way by Ken Castle and Shirley Castle. Not only that, but can you have loved on and influenced and invited into your heart all three of my children as you've taught them as they've grown up, right? Thank you for that. 
As a matter of fact, you've probably uh, taught and influenced 75% of the people in this room. If Ken has impacted you, raise your hand. Don't, don't understand. Just raise your hand. And, and, and I mean, we've done this before, but it's always amazing to me to see the people that have been changed because Ken stepped into their lives. Corey, you have welcomed me and my family in more ways than I could possibly count into your life. And we've shared our families. We've shared me and you joys. And we've shared our struggles. Thank you for that. I carry that with me today. Sam Souter, one of my best friends. So many things I could say right now. (laughs) But what I want to say is I thank God for you in the way that you have invited in and influenced and shown my kids love and ministry and worship. I carry that with me right now today. Malcolm, my son, you give me joy every single day. God uses you to make me a better man every day. And I pray, I pray that as you continue to grow, that I get to do that for you as you become a young man, as you get older and you grow up into a man and you get to be even bigger part of a church family than you already are. Because I could sit here and ask these people how many people are influenced by you and I can only imagine the hands that would go up and it would probably surprise me, although I shouldn't be. I carry that with me today. Derek Martin, I don't know if you're here or not. You invited me into two years of coffee chai tea and conversations. You invited me into your life and into your family, and you were a voice in my life when I desperately needed one. Foy Mills, Foy was here at first service sitting right over there, and unfortunately I had uh, had to fight the effort of not looking at him because he was sitting right there looking at me. Foy, you invited me into your strength when last Father's Day you walked up to me right there, put your hand on my shoulders, stared me in the eyes, and said your father would be proud of you today. Carry that with me today. Warren and Denise McNeil, for so many things, but most of all for your prayers over me and my family, I carry that with me this morning. Shelby Hands, Shelby, thank you for inviting and investing in my daughter, Sophie, for just asking her to be your friend and spending time with her. Mike Turner. It was so much easier, Mike, at first service. You weren't here. Mike, not for any words that you have ever spoken to me in particular, but for a knowing handshake and an embrace an invitation of an embrace at just the right time when I needed it. To the 20-plus men at the Friday morning men's Bible study, thank you for the years of sharing your pain, of sharing your wisdom, and of sharing your lives together every Friday morning. Lisa and Michael Robertson, who are here at first service, thank you more than I can express for the personal notes of encouragement and love, more than I can count. Aaron Grigson, thank you for making Bible study something exciting for my daughter Zoe and for showing that she mattered to you by coming to her choir recital. I carry that with me today. Carl and Bonnie Craig, 
for the countless amount of times, Carl, that you have grabbed me by the shoulders. And if you know Carl, this is how he wants to get your attention. He takes you by the shoulders, gives you a little bit of a shake. Carl, thank you for the times that you have said, if there's anything you ever need, all you have to do is ask. I carry that with me today. To Melissa Grimes, for the way you love my wife as a friend unbelievably. You influence me and I carry that today. I carry all these today because you, as my family, has, have invited me in. You have asked me to step into your lives, sometimes in huge, amazing ways, sometimes in small, tiny ways, sometimes in ways that we don't even get to see that will go through life of 56 years of a church body that every person in here is influenced by. But they all start with an invitation into a life of showing Christ to each other, recognizing that we are all bound. All these things are simply invitations. And we have to start to become a family that invites instead of remaining individuals waiting to be invited. I want to say that one again. We have to begin to become a family that invites rather than individuals who are waiting to be invited. Because an invitation is not an accident. It is intentional to bring someone closer, to draw them in, to invite them in. And that is all of our jobs. Just as Christ, just as God, just as Holy Spirit has reached down to make us part of his family. This morning is called Family Commitment Sunday. And for many of you who have heard me speak on this Sunday for years, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people call it Baby Dedication Sunday or they call it Baby Blessing Sunday. Because if that's all you hear on these Sundays when we have these families who are going to be standing up here in a little bit, if that's all you hear in that, then we've missed the bigger picture of what God is doing in family. Because yes, the parents are dedicating Yes, the parents are committing to raise their children up in Christ, but we too, as their church family, are committing to walk beside them to help them raise them. We invite them into our lives to also be their fathers, their mothers, their brothers, their sisters. And so this morning we call it Family Commitment. And we want you to see all the faces and the families that are going to be standing up here in a few minutes. We had families at the first service who were up here, and we have families that are here for the second service. We want you to see all the faces and the families that are committing this morning. So give your attention to the screens for this short video.
earlier this morning, Malcolm picked up one of the little um, family commitment brochures you got when you came in. And he opened it up, and he was looking at all the baby pictures. And he looked at uh, uh, Evie Souter's picture and saw that it says Evie Souter. And he goes, uh, her name is Evelyn. <laughs> Again, eight-year-old boy influencing both directions, right? These are the children that were born to our church family in the last 12 months. And there are two pieces to what family commitment means. The first piece we're about to do the parents who are committing to raise their children up into Christ, and they will do that through affirming three declarations. Parents, we are going to read these three declarations. These guys and myself are going to read this. They represent what you plan to do to raise your child into Christ. And after each declaration, if you agree to this, say loud and proud. First service, they were like, amen. Say loud and proud, amen. Okay? Y'all ready? I will treasure my child as a gift from God on loan to me. I will teach my child of God's love and his gift of eternal life through his son, Jesus. I will accept responsibility as my child's primary faith influencer to impress the truth and love of God on him or her as we live our life together. Church family, these next two declarations are for you. It's important for you, for us, being a part of this church family to understand that not only are they committing to raising their children to Christ, in light of this morning, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of the spirit that binds us together, we are asking you to commit to them and each other also. This is the second part Second part is that we as a family are committing to helping these parents and these children to be raised up into Christ, to build them up, to encourage them, to hold them accountable, and carry each other's burdens. This is an important, powerful occasion. If you can, please stand. This is Congregational Declaration 1. As a church family, we commit ourselves to being a godly influence to you and your children as you train them to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, church family, this last declaration applies to all of us, the families up here and you in the audience. And this last one, if we get this one right, it covers all of them. Say amen if you agree to commit to this. Congregational Declaration 2. We recognize and commit to being a godly influence to each other and helping to raise one another into a closer relationship with God by being ever-growing followers of Jesus. And we all say... We're not going to have a, one of our elders come uh, to do a blessing over these families. And so, Doug, I know you're here somewhere. Where is he? Oh. It's one of those days. Let's pray together. Our most righteous, loving Heavenly Father. Father, it's a beautiful thing to be loved by you. 
It's a beautiful thing to be loved by family. And Father, it's a beautiful thing to be loved by friends. But Father, it's even a more beautiful thing when all three of those things mesh together. And Father, we feel that in this place. And Father, we ask that you um, be with each one of these families represented on this stage. Help them to know that they are loved by you. Help them to demonstrate that love in their children, these newborns. And Father, help them to extend that invitation to others who may not know that love. And so, Father, as, uh, as we uh, approach your throne at this time, help us to, as a congregation, support these families. Help them to know that they are loved. Help them to know that they are special. And help us to accept the invitation to step into their lives and to be influencers just as we've witnessed this morning, to be influencers in the lives of these little babies. Father, help us to extend that invitation, and Father, help us to always accept that invitation. Father, we uh, love you, we praise you, and we thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do in our lives. We pray this through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Families, families, thank you for your commitment to God, to Jesus, and for the spirit that's in all of you. Thank you for that. Please go ahead and grab a seat. Church family, thank you for all that you have done and will do and for your commitment to these families.